I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Joining me today is a marvelous woman, Dawn Jones, who's Chief D&I Officer and Vice President of Social Impact at Intel. This is a story for those of you early in your career, as well as those who are embedding inclusion and diversity and social impact deeply into the organization to impact culture, to impact employee loyalty, commitment, and satisfaction. Let's start out first with a little bit about Intel. Um, We've all heard about the company with their incredible processors. Um, They were founded in 1968. They're headquartered in Santa Clara, California. Their revenues are north of 79 billion, 120,000 plus employees. And their values, customer first, fearless innovation, results driven, integrity and quality. But I'd like to give some numbers that are going to be more of the intel inside. They have 37 employee resource groups. Most companies have maybe eight, maybe 10, maybe 12. They have 37. But here are some other numbers for the company. Um, They have committed in the past year $1.4 billion to be spent with diverse-owned suppliers. They, in terms of social impact, they have uh, dedicated over $100 over the next decade to boost research and workforce development with universities, community colleges, technical educators, in conjunction with the U.S. Science Foundation. They also have this one million girl moonshot to expand STEM education around the globe to introduce more female engineers into the field. So those are just some of the additional numbers that give you a sense of the culture and the depth of the company's commitment to DEI and social impact. Now a little bit about Dawn Jones. And this is from an article in a local Arizona paper. She was asked, well, when you started at Intel about 25 years ago, what was your intention? And she said, it wasn't an aspiration that I was going to be a vice president at at Intel. It was always, how can I do the best job I can do at whatever job I'm doing? And I found a way to navigate the company by making sure that I always delivered on my results. Well, as I said, she's been at Intel almost 25 years, and she started out, listen to this, early, early college grads, early professionals. She started out as an executive assistant in the corporate affairs division. And she told me in this conversation, she started out at a community college. She then went to her boss and said, can I go farther? And the company helped her do that. She went back to school first to get her bachelor's degree from Arizona State University and later for a master's degree at Syracuse University's Newhouse School while working her way up the ladder. 
And now she's responsible for an intangible but essential piece of any company, its culture, through DE&I and social impact. And at Intel, that means that Dawn Jones is integrating inclusivity into employee retention efforts and candidate recruitment to ensure the company is welcoming, welcoming, and embracing its more than 120,000 employees spread all over the globe. This is a marvelous conversation. So welcome, Dawn, to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Carol. And I'm going to embarrass you incredibly because Dawn is just on the cusp of her 25th anniversary at Intel. And she started out just as an entry-level employee. And Dawn, how does it feel not only to be at Intel for almost 25 years, but to have this amazing dual role. It really is surreal. Uh, recently, my dad asked me, do you remember what I said when you first you know, got the job at Intel? And I said, no. And he said, I asked you, how long do you think you'll be there, dear? <laughs> and I started as an administrative assistant in 1997. And I thought, oh, about five years. And here I am 25 years later, it has been an amazing experience. I have um, navigated my career with purpose. The focus actually was ensuring that I could raise my two daughters and send them to college from a career at Intel, even starting at as, as an administrative assistant. And so um, I was looking around and thought, Okay, as in this role, I'm probably not going to be able to afford to send two children to college. So what else could I do? And I went to my leader at the time and just asked her, I said, I have about a year left to matriculate. Would you be willing to pay for me to go back to school? And she said, absolutely. And the rest is history. It's wonderful. And you, you've been to um, multiple um, universities to advance. Could you just talk a little bit about what you studied? Um, because it was preparing you for this amazing role today. So actually, I went to a community college where I took some um, just the basic general uh, courses. And then I went on to Arizona State University, where I studied broadcast communications, because that's where the bulk of my studying had taken place to until that point. And then after I worked a little while at Intel, I asked a new leader if they would send me back for my master's degree. And so I went on to Syracuse University, where I received a um, graduate degree in communications management. Oh, and did was that at Newhouse? Yes, it was. Oh, we love Newhouse. It was a fabulous experience. I did a, a remote learning program, but it was an executive program. And as you said, you know, as I progressed in my career, it really set me up for um, where I was going to take my career in the future and kind of where I am now. And I'm curious because you, you spent a lot of your time, I think, 17 years based on your background in media relations for, for Intel. How does that discipline help you to get really precise about stakeholder-based support? I'm curious. I was able to do media relations on the local level for a very long time. I worked in Arizona. It was an amazing experience. I've worked with five of our past CEOs whenever they came to Arizona and they had media attached to their visits. I was able to 
help them with their media engagements. And I think what media has really done to set me up for kind of this role is to really understand who your stakeholders are, how you help to prepare not only your executives, but how you're preparing and in, in, um, for the media interview. If you think about social equity, social impact, there are a lot of things going on in the world. Intel is a global company. And so we have 120,000 employees that all have different viewpoints and perspectives and projects that they want the company to support. And so really working with the media and establishing what true stakeholder partnership looks like when you are, you know, either talking about an event that you're going to launch or you're talking about a new product, a new factory, if you will, in Arizona. Um, it's been a great background to help me navigate mutual gains negotiation, crisis management and communications, all of that media and communications management experience really helped me in, in the work that I'm doing now. That's so well stated. Um, I would like to turn uh, towards Intel's purpose and how you support it. Intel's purpose is to build world-changing technology that improves the life of every person on the planet. How does it feel in your role today now to support this purpose um, for such a gigantic global multinational company? I think it's important and it has always been important at Intel that we try to make a positive impact wherever we have locations. That's our, you know, our primary. We want to be a good corporate citizen in the communities that we serve and then into the communities at large. Our challenges are immense these days. I mean, you can't turn on the TV without something happening around the world. We're struggling with the global pandemic. There's still social injustice. We have war going on. The the effects of, of climate change, it's just so much more than it was when I started 20, 25 years ago. We just strive to make sure that um, we are doing the right things by our community and also to pair that with our purpose, which is to make sure that we are making a positive impact on our community and how we use our technology to do that. And so that is the focus that that I really um, enjoy is how do we activate our employees? How do we use our technology for good in the communities that we serve outside of the sales, if you will, but more focused on using the technology for good through education programs where we can bring our technology into communities and help in places where there's war or uh, you know unrest. Really, what are we doing to use our technology as good in the world? And that just motivates me every day to get up and come to work because we know even if it's one person at a time, we're making a difference in someone's life. And you have, because again, this is so immense, that Intel has named and codified your approach and you call it your RISE strategy. And RISE stands for Responsible, Inclusive, Sustainable, and Enabling. 
So can you talk a bit about why did you decide to give it a name and to begin to codify it and to create ring fence it a bit because there was just so much that you could do? When we look at RISE, it really is a reflection of our ambition to continue to do the right things in the community and the world at large. We had a lot of different teams working on various aspects of our corporate responsibility work. And we really wanted to bring it all together and up-level it to an enterprise level where it was part of the way that we do business. And so when we talk about being responsible, it really is about safety, wellness, our responsible business practices across our manufacturing, across our value chain. When we talk about being inclusive, it's about advancing our DNI, making sure that we have an inclusive and representative workforce. Inclusion is really important to me because it really is about how do you activate the whole, not just bringing in people that don't look like you or bringing in people who may not feel um, that they fit. How do you work with a diverse and representative workforce to activate them for good, whether it's good in the work that they're doing or good in the community. Sustainable is really about what are we doing to be a good corporate citizen to minimize our impact on climate? Because we know climate is critically important. We have very focused goals across our operations, our business units, Um, our supply chain to ensure that we're being a good corporate citizen and minimizing our footprints in the areas where we we serve and in in, um, the world in general. And then enabling is really about activating our workforce for good. How do we activate our employees to go out in the communities to solve some of the world's greatest challenges with technology, to volunteer, uh, to support our communities at large. I think last year we had over 800,000 volunteer hours. That's tremendous. During, during a time where, COVID. you know, we're not really out uh, in the communities, but we still wanted to ensure that we make a difference in the communities where we serve. And and I, I'd love to, to dive deeper into the inclusion pillar. And, and I'd like to quote Pat, Pat Gelsinger, your CEO. And he says in your latest CSR report, in the introduction, it is imperative we work together as an industry to harness the power of technology and ensure it is being used as a force for good. And it's wonderful because you have so many customers that you realize that it is in, it is in integration and collaboration that can truly come up with amazing uh, results. And so I would love you to talk about your Alliance for Global Inclusion um, and talk a little bit about the, your favorite parts of it. This really gets my blood pumping when I can <laughs> talk about how uh, companies can collaborate for shared value. When you think about it, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, just in general, in tech, we have spent hundreds of millions of dollars individually to try to increase and make our workforces more representative. And when the Intel team kind of got together, we were thinking about what can we do to accelerate 
this work? What can we do to have uh, stronger results for all of our companies? We all want to ensure that we have diverse and inclusive workforces. And this idea of this collective, this collective impact where we work on shared goals, there is a lot in the DNI space that is not standardized. So for instance, the way Intel may um, report out on our women in tech numbers, it may be women with a master's or PhD in a technical discipline that is actually working in a technical discipline. But another company's tech women may be those that are working in a retail store. Very different. And so we wanted to come together to see where can we collaborate to drive better outcomes and where can we start to standardize some of these things where people aren't making up their own. They can go to the website, allianceforglobalinclusion.com. There are a plethora of resources there for people to pull on, especially if you're new in your journey. Um, We have some amazing partners, as you said, from partners to suppliers to vendors. We're all trying to solve the same challenge, which is an increase and diversity and inclusion within our organizations, we think that we can do that better together and have, you know, through, it's a shared value proposition. We're, we're an industry. We took the tech industry um, because we know the numbers in tech. We're an industry can actually make a difference in driving better outcomes in DNI. The thing that excites me the most is the collaboration amongst the companies and hearing what other companies are doing and how we can all do that for the greater good, not only of our individual companies, but for the industry as a whole. Collaboration is absolutely key today because, again, the challenges are so big. Can you just give us off the top of your head, what are the two greatest insights that you have learned for collaboration to work? For me, it's listening for understanding, not listening to be right. So when you listen for understanding, you really are pausing. Um, The narrative may not be aligned with your narrative, but when you listen for understanding, you can then enter into this conversation with an open mind versus this is how I do it. This is how you do it. And let's continue to kind of not be on the same page until we figure it out. When you open it up to listen for understanding, then I think that helps the collaboration um, grow and thrive. And then for me, it would be respecting other people's perspective. So it's a little bit different than listening for understanding because it means that we already start with us from a space of mutual respect. You have something to say. I have something to say. We all want to do it for the greater good of this body of work. We can collaborate much better if you enter into this collaboration with a mutual respect and that we're going to listen to understand each other and then uh, land on whatever outcome that comes our way. Two brilliant points. Thank you so much. Um, You created an inclusion index. And so can you talk about what was your vision for the index and how was it being utilized? Yes. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to really open up um, an index or a survey, if you will, for a global audience. 
And we wanted to find out what are the challenges and opportunities happening for a global workforce around inclusion. Why is it so difficult to launch and activate this work within our companies in a way that people just recognize that regardless of race and gender, you have a skill set to offer that will help drive better outcomes. And so we wanted to get, you know, we know how Intel operates. We wanted to get a better sense around the world what, you know, what challenges there were, because those also feed into the work that the Alliance will then go and create goals and drive. We launched our first survey literally (laughs) in the middle of 2020's pandemic. So, you know, people were dealing with so much, the response rate was a little bit low, but we were able to glean some things and some goals that the the alliance could go and work on. One was inclusive representation at the senior level. So your board, how does your board ensure that they are uh, creating a diverse and inclusive board structure? And what could we do as an alliance to help them get there? The other was around inclusive language, specifically in coding. So if you are um, a student leaving college right now, there's a lot of um, bias language in coding. So whitelist, blacklist, slave and master, and these are standardized. So when we talked about we want to hit the standards boards and standardize this work, we really saw an opportunity for the industry to come together and tackle the inclusive language um, uh, topic. Then there's this whole body of work called AI that has just taken the world by storm. What are the potentially biases that come out of product development and AI? So we really are taking a look at how do you mitigate biases? How do you identify them within the AI and product development space? And then lastly, the one that resonates around the world is STEM education and and under-sourced, under-resourced and underserved communities. And that is a global opportunity for us to come together and create Um, solutions in this space. So when we look at that in totality and we look at the index, we will continue to put this out to help drive our next body of, of work, if you will. That's terrific. And, and I'd love to you to chat about the million girl moonshot for, for STEM education. Can you just give our listeners a a little bit of detail on that? It really is a collaboration across education, educators, schools, nonprofits to drive more girls in STEM. And when we look at the availability of talent, when we look at the purpose of driving more girls in STEM, we want better outcomes. We want the best and brightest students working in this uh, capacity and, and moving forward to staff our companies with programs like the Million Girl Moonshot, and different education programs, it really is identifying, number one, at what age do we start to educate and get students excited about pursuing degrees in STEM? Education in the K through six space is great. Activation in the middle school space is really where you start to spark interest that will be a lifelong interest. So hands-on activities, summer camps, 
working with schools and communities to really drive better outcomes for girls is all about uh, what the Million Girl Moonshot is trying to accomplish. You talked about AI and another collaboration you've created, which is a favorite of mine. It's the AI Incubator Network, uh, and you've working with Dell and the American Association of Community Colleges. And I and so often community colleges are just left out of the equation. And so can you talk a little bit about what this is and why did you turn to community colleges? Well, first of all, I went to a community college, but that's not why we did it. (laughs) You know, I, I don't think that as we look to the future, we have to look at possibilities in a workforce. And if we are solely focused on four-year colleges, which we need, all of our companies need that, we're missing our opportunity to staff our companies with talented people that took a different path in their education experience. I think it's really important you hear about reskilling, upskilling in the workforce, the workforce of the future. The workforce of the future really allows us to tap in to the brilliance of people all around and every community in the country and, you know, around the globe. But we have to make education and learning accessible. And we found that community college is accessible for a lot more people than maybe the university system. And so we really wanted to focus on being able to create programming and programming and partnership with community colleges that drives better outcomes, that drives more people into tech to, to, um, help staff our workforces and frankly, help make our communities and our lives better. When you look at our purpose overall, um, there is no place that I've seen that says you only have to hire from universities. And when you open it up, we also know that women and students of color, veterans, they all may take a community college route based on their circumstances at the time. I told you earlier in the in the discussion that I leveraged a community college and I was working full time at the time and a community college had a daycare on site and I gave me the ability to go and finish my education and have my children taken care of. So when you look at that um, opportunity, I would say to anyone, why not community college? And I know that you have a goal to be in um, 50 states by 2023 So with this collaboration. So again, another great collaboration um, from Intel. So that's terrific. You also applied your superpowers during the pandemic. And can you talk a little bit about how, again, you collaborated with so many um, different partners, again, to, t- to really get the data and to try and advance um, solutions um, to uh, COVID-19. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, none of us were prepared for 2020. And, and you know, we had to create solutions as the pandemic was continuing to kind of invade our lives during a time where it was social unrest and political unrest. And, and all of these things seemed to crash down on us all at once. But if you go back to our purpose, if you go back to what we want our technology to do, this was the prime time for us to 
be creative and come up with ways to impact our communities that was positive, that was help uh, helping to move uh, forward progress in this uncertain time, if you will. So we had what we call the uh, Pandemic Response Technology Initiative. And that really was um, funding that was used with Intel in concert with all of our partners. And our partners would come to us and say, we have a solution on testing, uh, testing kits, or we have solutions that provides access to students in areas that would never, you know, they don't have the infrastructure to attend school. They don't have the laptops. They don't have the devices. And so we really focused on how we engage our partners to create collective solutions to support our communities in a way where we're using our technology, but also making a positive impact within those communities. How does, I'm just curious, you're so large. How do you enable your colleagues to come together so quickly? The good news is, is people want to do the right thing. In general, I have found when you have an issue and it takes either activating your your employees inside of a company or partnering with other organizations, but because you have to think about, as I said, with the Alliance, we are all dealing with the same thing. So what we're doing inside of Intel, activating the partners, activating the different groups to provide a solution, other companies are also doing that. So it wasn't difficult to persuade to partnership on how we as an industry and how we as tech can positively impact our communities that were struggling at the time. So it was really the the people that were doing the work may not say that it was easy, but it was easier because we were all trying to come together to support a common good and support our communities that we serve. You have just reported some amazing results about women engineers and women in technology, and you are giving a lot of detail about it. You've got a milestone goal of reaching 1,375 women in leadership roles. You ended the year with uh, almost 1,450 in senior leadership roles. How are you doing it and how does it make you feel? And what's the impact on the company? We're doing it slowly. I would like us to do it more quickly. That's, you know, some of the work that the Alliance is working on, but it feels good. I mean, you know, one of the things that we have been known for is our transparency and reporting. And it's very difficult to be transparent because you open yourself up for criticism. Uh, So we may have reached a milestone of 1,300 women, but people are asking us, why not 5,000 women or, you know, 10,000 women? And so, you know, the ability to reach our goals, yes. We are very excited about doing that, but we also are very aware that we want to do it more quickly and we want to to make sure that we're doing more. Because when you look at this, this is not about a number. This is not about I have X women or X people of color. This is really about changing a mindset around value. And when you look across and you want to increase diversity within your organization's it really is. Do you want the best and brightest talent that help that can help your company solve their challenges? It shouldn't matter race and ethnicity. If you truly want to make the next, you know, widget or product for your company, 
it should be about the skill set that that person brings to the table. So we are very excited about our results. We continue to push ourselves and push the industry to be aggressive in this space because in, in this, in this part of our journey, we realize that we have to continue to push it in the way that we have in order to get the results that we, we want. But the truth is, if you were to ask me what I would like to see in 10 years, I would like to see a company not need a diversity and inclusion leader because it is embedded in the way that companies do business, valuing people and the skill sets they bring to solve your company's challenges should be embedded in the way that you do business, regardless of race, ethnicity, or gender. That's an amazing goal. And it's in a short term. You're talking about a decade, which I think is great, because others we've talked to are saying two decades and three decades and such. So your 25 years is going to serve you really well. And I'm so glad the company (laughs) just recognizes that. Let's talk about culture, because I know that one of the four priorities, business priorities of the company is to have this amazing culture. And now that you've got these two roles, you are right smack dab in the middle of culture. So do you have any advice for those listening to this podcast about how does DE&I and social impact, two huge, you know, areas of work, not get siloed, but that get invited in to truly impact the way you you live your values. The key to this work is embedded in culture. We at Intel, we believe that a diverse and inclusive culture is key to innovation. And so, you know, sometimes you hear the narrative of, I have to create a, you know, a strong workforce and then I will pay attention to DNI. If you have to create a strong workforce, DNI should be embedded in what you're trying to drive and accomplish. If we go back to the very basic premise of, I want the best and brightest talent to work on my most pressing challenges as a company. It should not be based on, I only want the best of this X talent. I want to go out there and open up the world and find out who are the geniuses that can come and help Intel take it to the next level. Culture is critical. Psychological safety, respect in our company, quality, fearlessness, innovation, all of those are the way that we do business and operate. Inclusion is not just about me inviting someone to come into my space. Inclusion is about how are we activating the entire team, company, business unit to drive better business outcomes in a way that employees feel valued, respected, psychologically safe, in a way that employees feel motivated to come to work and work for you every day because they know you are doing good with your products. They live by your purpose and the culture is driving our employees to live into our purpose. You know, the technology industry per se, because because te- engineers are so male driven and in, in terms of the numbers, previously had this really, you know, hard male culture, you know, exclusion. Um, were there was there anything really special that Intel did to shift the culture to truly 
be more open and candid to just diverse individuals? There's a couple of things. So one, our culture is non-negotiable. We, you know, we have to live into what we want our employees to live into. Again, when you have a company of 120,000 people, there's 120,000 perspectives. People have come from different backgrounds, different experiences. And then how do you generalize a culture? Because you can't specialize it for 120,000 people. So there are some things that you just have to um, stand behind. And that is our culture. And we have really focused on embedding our culture into everything we do as a company. That is what drives us. And accountability. Managers are held accountable for living into our culture through reviews. You know, everyone has a review and then they we, we track, you know, here's our culture components. How are you doing in uh, driving inclusiveness? How are you doing with quality? How are you doing um, in the integrity space and recognizing employees and showing value? So those are two things. Culture is non-negotiable. If you want to drive better outcomes, you have to ensure that your culture is focused on that. And number two, for Intel specifically, we ensure that through accountability tied to our review process as well. What's your point of view on rankings? Um, You have, I looked at your awards page and you have almost 40 different awards from women engineers to all sorts of just different levels, best places to work, um, et cetera, et cetera. What's your point of view? Are they important? Are they important to to get them and and to showcase them? They are absolutely important. Not only, you know, when I look at rankings, you know, we can look at it through a couple of lenses. One is that prospective employees take a look at how you're doing in different spaces. And so it's, it's really great for companies to be able to share where they were ranked, how they were ranked, the methodology used through the ranking process. The other is for the pride of employees that work here and do this work every day. They put a lot of time and effort into which, whatever the company is being ranked on. And it is a confirmation of the work that they are doing, a public confirmation, not only within the company, but externally for our employees that put their time, talent, and treasure into their work every single day. So those are those are two that I could think of external, you know, prospective employees and then um, generating affinity for your company through these for your internal employees. Can you share in our final minutes um, your two or three top insights for your peers? So senior level executives who are their purpose has been stated, they're advancing it. Um, but what do you, you know, how do they make it even more impactful to truly help their companies grow as well as to impact society? I can't stress enough the point about focusing on the value that people bring to the company and your and your team specifically. Focus on skills and potential and aspirations, because we all know that we were given that break at some point. And we lived into it and we leaned into it because someone was behind us that believed in us that we could do that. So as, as, as leaders, 
value the people on what they bring to the table individually and then look at it collectively. And that should not be based on race, ethnicity, or gender. It's very difficult to have just broad DNI. You have to get very laser focused on your team and the people on your team. That's one. Number two, you know, unconscious bias and, and lack of opportunity or lack of access to opportunities for talent continue to be a core challenge. What could you do to provide equity and access? This work is really based on providing opportunities for people to compete, not closing the door based on race, ethnicity, or gender, but allowing everyone to compete and then selecting the best candidate for your job. But how can we kind of get around or address unconscious bias in this space? And then lastly, and we said it earlier, this can't be solved as individual companies. We have to come together as a collective industry to solve these challenges. So how can we come together as corporations and potentially set the stage for and create a playbook on some of the things that when it comes to diversity and inclusion that we can share within our society and with the world in general? Oh, perfect statement. I'm so thrilled that you have stayed for 25 years, more than the five you said you were going to start out at, <laughs> and that the company is just um, absolutely reaping the benefits of your wisdom, of your passion, um, of your authentic commitment to people and culture and just powerful outcomes. So thank you so much for your time. And we hope you'll come back. Thank you, Carol. And I would love to talk to you again. This is this has been fabulous. I appreciate you for inviting me on. Purpose 360 is a combination of some incredible efforts. I'd like to thank my colleague, Ann Hundredmark, and Kristen Kenny, um, my colleagues at Carol Cohn on Purpose, for all of their support in identifying our guests and helping us to background them. I'd also like to thank our production team of Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, who are always making us sound so incredibly smooth. And I'd like to thank our listeners. Um, I'm getting great feedback when I go to conferences. I had a couple people at the, the recent CECP conference, and this woman came up to me and went, Oh, my God, you're Carol Cohn. I love your podcast. And I turned and I bowed, and I said, Oh, my God, it's a fan. I love hearing from fans. So, listeners, please um, give us feedback. Uh, please, please, please rank us. Give us five stars uh, wherever you listen to a podcast. I want this podcast, Purpose 360, to be part of the top business podcast because every, every, every company must define their purpose, refine it, and then activate it to impact business growth as well as to impact society. So give us your feedback. Let me know names of people you'd like to have on the show. And truly, truly, you'll have a great, by listening to this podcast and really working hard in whatever job that you have, you'll have an amazing answer to the question, what is the power to your purpose? <laughs>